episode four of the unintentionally abridged Talk Soups and CEOs season number two. We're back. Don't have much of an excuse, except we've been working like crazy. We got some great stuff coming up, but been having trouble getting episodes out. But we have some good episodes here to end the year. Let's get started. Yes, I've missed the theme song. I should I should have been listening to it. I should I should put it into my Spotify playlist so I remind myself when it's been 8 weeks since we've put together an episode that I got to find some time. Look, I we've we've um we've been through a crazy year as a as an organization. A year that uh, you know, calendar year at least. When I say year, we usually think in terms of school years, but this 2020 calendar year started off pretty well, um, had what we thought was our best event ever in Palm Springs in January. Then the whole world changed and none of us were sure, frankly, if we were going to survive, if if IEI would survive this year. So um, I hope you will indulge us and forgive us for being a little focused. Um, The last few months, uh, we had to get episodes out sort of between during our hiatus we had between um, our first two fall events and our last two, we got a couple of the episodes out from the discussions we had with our members over the summer about preparing for the school year. And now here I am as things slow down, as holiday breaks begin in school districts across the country. Um, I have uh, some really great discussions that we've edited down from our fall retreats with our members and partners. And I think, you know, some good, good stuff in here. But anyway, my apologies for not getting episodes out more regularly, but as I say often on this podcast, when you're a small organization trying to have a podcast as part of your work, um, and the person who leads the organization is also the recording engineer, producer, and on-air talent, um, (laughs) you you either become a professional podcaster or you um, run your organization and make sure you serve your members and constituents and partners. And so um, I had to choose that. Um, Just have not been able to get our act together to get these episodes out to you. But I've got a few coming out here before the end of the calendar year. I'll try to space them out like we're a real podcast that actually um, generates an episode each week. We endeavor to do that. It's it's our New Year's resolution um, is to, uh, is my colleague Sarah and I, to work on having a more regular schedule with the pod. We really enjoy doing it. we know people have enjoyed listening to it. We It's a storytelling vehicle for us. Um, it helps tell the stories, the story of the great work that's happening in all of our member districts and just some of the amazing people we get to come across. So um, in this little mini-series right here before the holidays, you're going to hear um, edited down discussions from, um, from our fall retreats, <laughs> which again, for those who are not familiar or haven't checked in with us in a while, IEI basically how we survived this year and why we're still um, standing is that we invented a new way to get innovative educational leaders together to talk about these big problems and talk about 
solutions, potential solutions to these big problems. And we had to invent a new way to do it that was safe under the restrictions of the pandemic. And we are not people who take the pandemic lightly. Uh, so we were pretty aggressive. Um, basically our rule was that if we wouldn't ask our loved ones and our kids to come to the event, then we weren't going to hold it, hold it. So, um, between that and, um, you know, our push to try to involve more, you know, one of the things we've always really felt is important is to make sure that we get the, the, the bleeding edge of innovation, that the organizations that are just getting started or, you know, they're not big yet. They don't, <clears throat> they don't have the big market share yet, but they're out there talking to districts. We want them here. We want them to talk to us. We want them to listen to us. We want them to be part of our discussions. We want to learn what they're learning because they're going to be 10 steps ahead potentially of anything we've even thought about because they're going so deep in their niche. And so um, the pandemic allowed us to hasten a model that we were thinking about building anyway, which was to allow uh, organizations who wanted to put a smaller budget toward a partnership with us to participate virtually and put them on an even playing field. We use software called Remo. If you want to learn more about that, get in touch. But Remo um, turns, it basically is uh, the human version of a Zoom meeting in that it feels like a bunch of humans are actually sitting in a room together. It, it gives you that, it gives the brain that, um, <clears throat> I'm not a brain scientist or anything, but um, that there's some part in your brain, at least in my brain, as an extroverted people person, um, there's a part of my brain that just gets happy when it's around really great people. I don't know how to explain it any more scientifically, but there's something that goes on when I'm in a room with interesting people. I can have interesting discussions with people I like, people I respect. Uh, I feel really great. And I think the members of our group um, share this, <laughs> um, this brain trait, because when I asked everybody back in May, you know, what should we do? Should we try to get you together? Should we do virtual stuff? Everybody said virtual stinks. I mean, we ha we do it because we have to do it. But um, our IEI time is not, is not like, you know, life or death must do it. So we must have Zoom meeting. It's something we look forward to. It's, it's, it's something that we learned from. It's something that um, helps round out our experience and enriches our work. So, um, and part of that's because of that, the, the, the brain center that gets happy when it's around other people. So everyone basically said, get us together, figure it out. If you figure out how to get us together, um, cause then I asked, you know, follow questions. Are you flying? Are you driving? So most of our folks said, you know, if it's within five, six hours, yeah, I'll come. We had some who said, I'll get on a plane to come. And I thought, okay, back in May, I was like, that sounds crazy, but all right, let's go plan some stuff. So, uh, my amazing team and I, Tiffany and Sarah, uh, Tiffany in particular is our director of operations, went and figured out how to do in-person events as safely as possible with distancing, with outside. We chose the dates so we could fit everything in to the, the warmer weather months, but not too warm that it would be uncomfortable, uncomfortable to be outside and um, we did it and no one got infected and we were all safe and we wore masks or we wore sweaters or we wore shorts. Um, we're, we're right out with the whole like going to a conference and wearing a suit or jacket and tie. 
uh, or or female equivalent of such, blazer and blouse, uh, that's out. We are casual. <laughs> We're just casual now because if the because we have to be outside, can't be inside for any social event. Um, I mean, to be outside sitting far apart from each other at big, huge round tables for 10 people with, with four people sitting in it. So, uh, wear a fleece, wear a hat, who cares? Uh, you know, wear a winter cap if that makes you warm. I'm a bald guy. I gotta wear a hat. So that's what we did. And, uh, it was really an incredible fall, but, um, we're not really <laughs> built necessarily to do, um, you know, four events in five weeks five events in in two and a half months that's that's a lot so we uh we ran like crazy and we you know these folks i work with tiffany and sarah just just incredible um you know we all put on we all wear many hats we put on whatever hat we got to put on to get to get everything done for our members and our partners and um it's been an extraordinary year we've we've really had a good time so we invented this new way of getting together where over half the people who are at the event are not at the event. They're at the they're in the software that we use in this Remo software because it makes you feel like you're together and it engages you in the process of being together, engages you in small talk, catching up with a friend. You can the software allows you to go hide in a corner or get on the quote unquote elevator and go to another floor and have a private conversation outside of earshot, everybody. So you can catch up. It's what friends do. It's what professional colleagues who don't see each other that often want to do. Last time I saw you, you were working on this strategic plan. How did that turn out? Um, <clears throat> hey, what happened with that? Um, you know that 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 school that um, you know you had the the ventilation issue. Did you ever fix that? Like the stuff that they remember about their conversations from last time. They want to be able to have that. And you know, Zoom is great for scheduling a meeting and sitting in a meeting, but it's not a place where you can sort of have. Um, like curiosity and agency about who's in a room and who do I want to talk to and what can I learn? You know, you're in the room with who you're in the room with. So we created this new way to conference, to gather this hybrid event. But one, the the key element of this is that our members and other superintendent guests were on site with us in person. And we didn't tell them this, but they were actually traveling to come to a virtual conference. It was an all virtual conference. All, everything happened in the software. Everybody, we got them on laptops, we got them on headsets, some had a steep learning curve, some picked it up quickly, we were there to provide tech support, but we didn't all sit in a big banquet room together. Once we had um, everybody logged in to Remo, we spread everybody out to the four winds and seven seas. People would go outside uh, at the, the one in in, uh, in the Cascades in Washington State. We had a fire pit going, and uh, there's a great picture on our, on our social media and other places of... Um, Katie Lash, superintendent from East Central Indiana, ESD, sitting by the fire pit um, with her hat on and her laptop doing one-on-one meetings with our partners. So it was it was quite a fall. And then recovering from that, doing the follow-up, and then getting, you know, that's the other thing about this year. We're used to, we're used to planning our events two years in advance. We, we had to f- scrap the whole calendar, rebuild it, um, you know, figure out, all right, we're going to do four regional events that people are going to drive to around the country. And then for the spring, we had a spring summit. Well, I don't think we're going to get the big number. People are going to be spread out because some will be able to travel during some months and some won't during other months. This thing is a, a crazy, unpredictable thing. So uh, we changed the schedule for the spring. We got a weekend event that's a 
superintendent retreat self-care uh, retreat of the last weekend of February and excited to announce I'm partnering with um, my friends and colleagues, mentors, um, life coaches, whatever you want to call it. Uh, three former superintendents, Clayton Wilcox, Tracy Davis, and Dallas Dance will be partnering with us to facilitate the leadership development retreat and workshop at the February 25th Las Vegas summit. Uh, sorry, um, retreat. And then we've got our regular spring summit, which we're expecting to have a smaller number at, um, at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. So both of these will include outdoor socially distanced social events and will be essentially all done online. Um, just, you know, there'll be a central place where people can come talk to us and figure out how to get into the software and, and we'll just spread everybody out. If you're inside, wear a mask, but no more than eight people in that room with us. And, uh, you know, I set up a stage <clears throat> that's the sort of dais from which all the, you know, any, any work, any, um, panels or other discussions are happening. But here's the cool thing about this model. Suddenly, instead of having to get someone to fly across the country to come to one of our events, I don't need them for two days flight and then come give an hour talk. We just need an hour. They just pop on. And if they come in virtually, it doesn't, it, there's no, everyone's on an equal footing because of this platform we use. I can't say enough about Remo. It's good. It's changed how we've, how we will do business. We will use it well after this pandemic. Um, we will be meeting in Remo. We'll be, um, cause I, I can put together a panel of really interesting thought provoking speakers, uh, regardless of geography and schedules, you know, everyone just works into their schedule, which, you know, I, I've been personally doing for several years now. I've been doing meetings with people across the country on zoom. Um, it's just sort of how I've been working, but now everyone's working this way. So, um, welcome to, uh, <laughs> welcome to, um, whatever this is. Um, but this will be our post pandemic, uh, way of doing business too. So we're really excited. I'm, I hope you can tell, I'm just really excited about what we're doing. And I think the spring is going to be fantastic. So, um, February 25th, Las Vegas weekend leadership retreat, April 18th, Broads, Broadmoor, Colorado Springs. The topic of that one will be how do we close the gaps in learning, social emotional development, etc., that are inevitably being caused by um, the various modes of instruction, remote, hybrid, um, or all day in person with masks and plexiglass and all that other stuff, and and you know no modified recess, no modified PE, no musical performances, no after school clubs, et cetera. How are we going to recover from all that? That's what we're going to talk about, um, in Colorado Springs. So, um, this episode, we have a great discussion from our, uh, fall retreat at Galena Park, Illinois, um, at the Eagle Ridge Resort. These, these events too, I have to tell you, we were, um, at two of them, we, we basically rented a cabin. Our numbers were small. We only had at the Illinois one, we had 23 people on site, uh, 12, 13 superintendents and a handful of partners. I didn't go to that one. I was, I was, uh, on the bench in quarantine cause I had to run the one in New York the following week And New York had, has had among the strictest quarantine regs. So I was in a cabin in the Adirondacks quarantined from my own home and family, uh, running an event online <laughs> remotely. And uh, we're really excited. Our, our friend and colleague, um, Dr. Andy Crozier from uh, Central Lee 
public schools in Iowa sort of took over the the MC duties at the actual event and did so admirably, I might add. Um, and this was a discussion just about all the different things that we that we learned and things we wish things that that our panelists thought wished had gone better and things that they learned, uh, things that they thought went really well. We took some time to celebrate what went well. And um, I think the one of the most interesting parts of the discussion is right toward the end. Uh, we we use a tool called Thought Exchange, great partner of ours, Thought Exchange, um, who comes to most of our stuff. Um, they have a tool that I think is among the best at just sort of facilitating a discussion in which all voices are heard and the ideas that resonate with most bubble to the top. And so one of the one of the questions put out to our group on Thought Exchange was. Um, you know, uh, sorry, one of the questions put out by our group to this panel of superintendents was, you know, everything you're talking about sounds pretty difficult. Sounds like it's been a really tough year. Are you glad you're still in your superintendent job? And um, Serena Shivers, who is the executive director of the Michigan Association of School Administrators and a retired soup, um, sort of just had the most poignant response, which was, we have to stay in it. Uh, we have to be there for these children and their families. And um, that was that was sort of the sentiment of every one of these fall events we did where we got together with folks. I didn't hear one person say, oh man, I got to get out of this <laughs> this racket. This is a tough year. Um, you know, our, our group, it's, they're just a, they're just, a, I just feel very lucky and, and honored to have time with them to get to spend time with these folks. Um, they're just a, a humble, hardworking and just committed, passionate group. And, you know, I think everybody sort of said the same thing. Like, I'm glad I'm there because I know I'm going to bust my tail and make sure these kids get the best possible educational opportunity while they're with us, despite all of these challenges. And, you know, I think, uh, Serena's message will be with all of us for a while. We got to hang in there for these kids and, uh, hope you enjoy the panel. This is um, Tad Everett from Sterling Public Schools in Illinois, Serena Shivers, who I just told you about, who um, is the Executive Director of the Michigan Association of School Administrators, and uh, Mr. Michael Munoz, who's the Superintendent of Rochester Public Schools in Minnesota. One thing I want to mention that you're going to hear in the track, every so often you hear what sounds like um, scratching. That's uh, Sarah Kroll, our Director of Marketing's dog, who was at this event running around the room so if you think you hear a dog in the background you do um that's the kind of uh family sort of event this was anyway thanks to andy crozier superintendent of centrally iowa for moderating this enjoy uh, this is going to start off the opening panel and what we're going to do is we're going to give each of you five minutes uh to speak about the question um that we're going to ask and then we're going to engage in a thought exchange uh after you're done so really um, we're just kicking off, and we want to know during a pandemic and returning to learn what is working, what needs work, and where are we headed in the future. So, Dr. Everett, um, I'll let you go first. Okay, well, just a little bit of a story. Um, going back to this this past summer when we were doing our back to school plan, our community really came out. Um, and I, when I say our community, it'd be our police department chief. Head of our CEO of our, our local hospitals, uh, our county health department executive director, and really talked to us and had data that our kids need to be back in school. 
So that was really the push for myself and our leaders uh, in our school district to get our students back into school. But due to the size of our district, we really didn't know how we would make that happen. And so we, the next step of that story is that we, we developed uh, an opportunity for our families to gather choice. And um, so late in the summer, we, made our, we, we asked our families to choose either at-home learning or at-school learning. And the significance of that is that 31% of our, of our students chose uh, an at-home learning environment. And the reason why I say that's a story is because the next step in that process is the fact that that literally provided us an opportunity when a third of our students, in essence, decided that they would uh, stay home in a remote learning environment, that it gave us an opportunity to follow those CDC guidelines, those Illinois Department of Public Health guidelines of social distancing. So, so with that, the reality is, is that our elementary, our K-5, we then made the decision to push in all of our interventionists, ELA and math technologists, uh, as well as our special teachers, back into the regular ed classroom and in doing that that created for us an, an opportunity for all of our students k-5 to have one of our own teachers either at home or at school learning so they're in a remote or at school environment our k-5 students come every single day and our class sizes because of the remote learning um, are about 15 to 1. now the significance of that is to answer your question about what's going well because our class sizes are 15 to 1 and we've been able to, to uh, increase our sections of elementary um, at-school learning, we've seen immense growth in the first, this our, tomorrow starts our seventh week of school. So we've seen immense growth academically in our at-school learners, um, as well as the opportunity to, our COVID data is fantastic. We collect daily COVID data that we supply to our community, um, again, on a daily basis. And we have a, a chart that we utilize. We collect positive cases, quarantine, and um, probables. And our data is fantastic. And so our cleaning protocols are working well. Uh, we work with our ESP union. So those are the things that are going well in that so-called story. But those same decisions also created what's not going well. Uh, our midterm grades um, are significantly uh, deficient, especially at the secondary level. Um, our student failures are almost twice what they have been the last three years at this time, especially freshmen. And that's really coming from two significant things. Our at-home learners are not engaged um, to the extent that they have been in the past. Uh, social emotional impacts there, academic supports are not there. And then again, the decisions that we made in order to have students on campus uh, under our cleaning protocols, we don't have any before or after school tutoring programs. So our students who have been quarantined um, for any length of time are having difficulty making up quizzes, tests. And so they're, they're showing growth academically, but their grades are suffering. So for me, that's what's going well. That's, not, that's what's not going well. It is a situation that is kind of intertwined uh, and intermingled uh, in, in the decisions that we made this summer. Um, so are we going to talk about next steps, Andy, later? You want me to talk about that? No, go ahead, right Okay. Now. Well, just... For, for us, twofold. Um, we are looking at opportunities that uh, we're going to have to think entirely differently than we have about ways to provide supports for our students who are struggling academically in our learning environment as well as our at-school environment and still keep safe, healthy protocols. Um, that's a struggle for us right now. Um, and um, it, it is the, the health priorities taking precedence over 
the educational ones. And that's a struggle for us philosophically because uh, our students are struggling and they're telling us that. And our data shows that. Serena, do you want to share? Kick off of your five minutes. I will. I will. So I'm going to start with a little bit of a story as well. Hopefully everyone can hear me well. Um, as I said in my introduction, I am out of the superintendency as of July 1st, stepped into the role as the deputy executive director for MASA, which is the association that supports all 300 plus superintendents in the state of Michigan. And my main role and responsibility is professional learning, professional growth, mentoring, um, internships, and just overall support of our superintendencies across the state. And I couldn't be more happier being in such an important role um, in such an important time. So my answer is going to be a little bit of both, right? My most recent superintendency, as well as some of the work that I have most recently took on. I think what is working, and even though I'm sure if I talk to my membership and that's the 300 superintendents in the state, they would probably feel like it's not working. But I think the autonomy that districts are given to look at the metrics as he describes in their individual communities and decide whether they should be face-to-face, -face, whether they should be fully remote, whether they should be um, hybrid is part of what's working because Michigan, like every state is very, very different um, in our different regions in the upper peninsula, even though they most recently went back in the, in the governor's phases, they were having very few cases. Um, a lot of communities were starting to see some, some rapid changes with the way that we clamped down in the state of Michigan with the mask and with social distancing and being really pretty much um, in quarantine for the, the first several months of the pandemic. Um, this, the same thing though that, it, that is not working, that is working is also what is not working <laughs> because now, um, we're starting to see our numbers tick up and individual districts are starting to find it very hard to make a decision to be fully face-to-face -face or to be remote when the district right next to them made the decision to close or to open and so on and so forth. So those same dynamics and there really isn't from our health departments um, at the state level, at the different levels within the state, at the state level and even nationally, there really isn't a metrics that everyone is feeling really, really good about. I think the challenge is that like whether it, and I know this is no comparison, but that we're dealing with something that we don't know a lot about, first of all. And second of all, challenge when someone has an outbreak of something in their district or a threat in, in their district, what do you do when you are contiguous to that district or you might share you know, families? The area where I was superintendent, we were really hit hard. I was contiguous to Detroit. I had um, teachers that were on ventilators for 30 plus days. I had one teacher that lost a mother, father, and a brother all within a couple of uh, weeks of one another during the height of the um, early days of the pandemic. So, so what's working, the autonomy, is still also causing a lot of challenges and fears in our community. So that's the hard one. I'm gonna pick one that's still hard, but it's one that definitely needs work is equity. And I could really probably talk about the funding aspect for the rest of the IEI conference, so I won't delve into the, the funding. What I will say is that equity and instructional access is still a huge problem. So to your point that you brought up, my own personal children are in a synchronous, remote, fully remote environment, and they are rocking it. And I can see learning occurring. I can see um, that there is a full, you know, instructional teaching and learning environment going on, pedagogy, so on and so forth. Teachers using multiple modalities of inst instruction and assessment. 
the, the problem is, or I guess I should say the good thing is they were already full Google Classroom, right? Before the pandemic, they already received their instruction and, and were able to upload all of their assignments and access their work through the Google platform. Not advocating for Google. I am just saying that that process was not foreign to them going into the pandemic. And I think that has given them an opportunity that other kids don't have. So for me, I want to see that equity. I want to see all kids be able to be fluid in remote and being face-to-face because they're going to need it. They're going to need it for post-secondary. I teach a full remote post-secondary course right now, right? And some of my students are struggling because they've never learned in that, in that um, way before. So that's what needs work. And then finally, where we're headed in the state of Michigan, with the help of Thought Exchange, I think, is that we are going to do a statewide remote lear- learning assessment so that we can find out from all you wonderful superintendents, like my colleagues in the state of Michigan, and what's truly working and what's not, so we can delve into that equity of access issue a little bit more. So right now, I think things are going really, really well for us as far as the elementary. I think we did a, a we did start school a couple of days later than normal, just to give our teachers a little more time to get ready for the start of the school year. Um, right now, we're getting a lot of pressure from our, our secondary parents. They want their kids in school, especially now that Minnesota has opened up athletics. Uh, you know, they're pushing. Why can they come in and participate in sports but can't come into school? So. We're dealing with that a little bit, but we're also seeing a an uptick in our uh, positive cases in our county. So right now, the data does not support us um, coming back in person for the secondary. Now, I think another unique thing we're doing is to make sure that we're addressing the mental wellness of our students. Uh, each school has a mental health hotline that students can call in and get extra support. I'm to come in. We think that's important to not only think about the academic pieces of it, but also to think about the uh, mental health of our students. So that's kind of where we're at now. We're scheduled in a couple of weeks to revisit our data and make a decision if we're going to continue uh, where we're at right now or if we're going to make adjustment in one of our models. Thanks very much to Tad, Serena, and Michael. We're going to give a chance to... Um, hear from everybody else there as well and gather your thoughts and questions and perspectives and the things that you want to throw back and hear more about from each of these three distinguished speakers as well as have an opportunity to um, bring in a couple more folks into the conversation as well. And so what I'm going to do right now is um, launch this thought exchange. First question and the one that was rated highest amongst you all is how are you dealing with the SEL issues teachers are facing with the constant change? uncertainty and demands. This is the worst time to have teachers quit and they are quitting. So we'd love to hear from the panel on that. So specifically for us, Andy, the, the, those teachers that are in the remote learning are what we call our at-home environment. Talk to us in the first couple of weeks, lots of tears, lots of anger and emotions around the topic. And to quote one of our teachers, our second grade teachers, I've never felt so isolated in my 24-year career as I do right now. And teaching is a collegial um, profession. And so we're, we really, um, starting our third week, which is then now four weeks ago, really created not, not digital, but personal um, interest groups where we can force basically those people to get together. We 
so they can spend some time just collaborating. But and, and the, the irony of this question is here we're, we're focusing on adults. What about our students who are in that same environment? And so that's kind of been also one of our next steps. And I'd love to hear what somebody has to say about how they're connecting staff as well as students. We're doing that digitally. We just realize we need human touch. We need human experience um, in, a, in a personal way. So um, that's how we just we just purpose to do it and um, change some schedules around and got people together. James, I'm, I'm going to twist this a little bit. Um, and I know the, the focus was a lot on teachers, but there, you know, there are a lot of other professions in education, principals, superintendents. I'm going to guess I'm not like, I'm like many of you, where this is probably the first conference or group event that you've been to mm -hmm. in several months. And so what I want to ask Serena is same question, but not necessarily teachers, but principals, administrators, superintendents, are you finding that the stress and anxiety is boiling over to where you're going to start seeing these people leave the profession here in the future? All time high. And um, our numbers of people that are interested to enter in the profession is low. Imagine that, right? Um, but um, there, there are two things that came to my mind um, because we're trying to meet people where they are. Um, we've been doing way more webinars, I think, than we've ever done before. And they are quick topics that come up out of an immediate need you know, the, the one that football was one that came up, right? And we were able to get with our, you know, big attorneys that do all of this work across the state and they put a webinar together and it was one of the highest attended webinars, right? So it was timely, it was urgent, people really needed it. They could pop on, it was recorded, it was a nominal fee and it was accessible to them and they could watch it at three o'clock in the morning if they had to. And that was that real time trying to support superintendents. But we also started doing something that's called Water Cooler Wednesday and it's just a Zoom hangout. And we're just on there and superintendents just pop in and just say, help, here's what I need help with. And we're talking about everything under the sun. And some of it's not even related to education because people just need a space to come and we don't see each other at conferences or at meetings and you know things of that nature. So that isolation of that conversation is across the board. It's my children, it's your children, it's teachers, it's business office people, it's all of us. But I totally and completely agree with you that the leaders are the ones that you guys that are around the room that are the ones that we're really even concerned about more because there's so few, first of all, um, in the profession, staying in the profession, and now even less going into the profession. Thank you. We're going to jump to another thought here, and uh, this is really building off of part of what you were speaking about earlier, Serena, about equity and instructional equity. Um, this person wants to hear more about this important issue. And so I'm curious if either yourself or anyone else wants to speak to this specifically from an equity lens and how you're contending with the scale of challenges and making sure that all kids are still gaining access to high quality education at this time. Well, I'll start and then I'll toss it over to someone else who wants to jump in since I'm the one that started it. Um, I brought up the, the example with my own personal children doing synchronous learning and using a Google Suite, Google Classroom, but I want to be clear that that's just the tool, that's just the vehicle. What is embedded in that school culture is personalized learning, individualized instruction, and focused off of a book, actually, that's in, I think it's chapter four of a book called Building Equity, and that chapter is called Instructional Excellence, and in that chapter, they talk about the gradual release of instruction, and so it's really about teaching kids to be able to work full group, small group, independent, 
individualized and inquiry and have that 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 natural inquiry that's embedded in a learner and really shifting the focus off of the teaching and onto the learner and the learning. And the book advocates for if we really truly want to build equity, we have to teach children to learn in this way. And so what I'm seeing with my own children is because this is kind of a philosophy of teaching and learning at the school that they attend. And I will give a caveat and say it's an international baccalaureate school. So it's kind of built into the nature of that school is that I, what I'm seeing is that they have skills. My kids have skills on how to navigate the learning process that they are just as successful remotely as they would be face-to-face. And let me also say something. This school is a school that's in an urban setting. It's a school that's in an at-risk setting. It's not, it's not an, you know, an IB school that is, that is only for certain kids or only you know, kids can access. It's accessible to all. The academics of the school really challenges kids from all different walks of life, backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures, beliefs. And that's the way we should be educating children. And that's what equity looks like in the face of a pandemic it has equalized the the access for all students. And I've seen it and I'm experiencing it as a parent. And I I, I realize what what I think that I, as a leader in my own building, needed to do more of to my children. We were on the cusp of starting International Baccalaureate when I stepped out of the superintendency. And it was because I see that, not that, not necessarily IV, but I see the individualize of the instruction and it really being about the learner and the learning that really is a catalyst. So that book, Building um, Equity, is one that I think all leaders need to get their hands on and really focus on that chapter on instructional excellence. I think it is kind of a, a game changer in a situation like this to be able to have more opportunities for all students. You know, one of the things regarding equity, not, not so much the instructional part, but one of the challenges for I think all school districts is our district's not unlike most districts where we have give people either a face to face option or a full online option. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, in regards to equity, some people don't have two options. Some people only have one option, and so even though they may, as a family, think for their own personal health and safety that the online option's better, either they don't have uh, appropriate supervision, daycare options, um, internet, uh, hardware, whatever it may be. So they don't really have two options Very to choose from. And so then they're stuck going to whatever the second option is. And, mm-hmm. and, and we're not unlike uh, other school districts. Uh, we, you know, we can provide hotspots. We can provide hardware, uh, but we can't provide supervision sometimes if it's an elementary student that's taking an online option. So then they're stuck coming to school face-to-face, which they may not feel comfortable with. And they're coming to school scared with anxiety. That's not a great learning environment for that child to begin with either. So um, there's just been so many different layers put on the equity um, piece um, with the pandemic that we never thought of seven months ago. I totally agree. And I think the funding one and the supervision one and parents that have to work is real-time real-time issues. I mean, even the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, we had thunderstorms and our electricity went out and I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't, it was something I didn't even think about, right? You know, so yeah, it's all kinds of issues. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig into this a little bit more if I could. I was reading something today about um, the impact of, of the, of the pandemic at scale on kids and their quality of education. And there was a study that found five years after Hurricane Katrina, one third of the city's children had fallen 
um, I had, had to drop back a grade at least. And I'm wondering how you all see that um, in view of that, that this is happening across the country, across the world. What, what do you think are some of the potential long-term equity impacts and are we doing enough now to contend with those things in real time? Sure, I can. Um, and to your point, um, one of the things I, for vulnerability, was embarrassed by was the idea that um, we did not, we're from, our district is a large uh, minority population, and, and we considered uh, that piece of our back to school plan where we did not really give it, our due diligence is to the economic piece. Andy, to your point, um, we, we literally, did not we said our families had choice but the reality of that is is our economically disadvantaged families who didn't have home internet really didn't have a choice and so we had to re we had to completely rethink that um to this point one of the one of the pieces that we are now searching for is ways to literally provide and we are a we're a one-to-one district k-12 so we have hardware but it really doesn't mean much if you can't utilize that at home as a as a Again, a, a piece of learning. And so with that, we're, it's our big task. We've, we've had um, a board initiative around it already to try to find ways to support having home internet for all of our students. And, and until we get to that point, I, I don't believe, I believe this equity gap, and, and I'll, I'll even go one step further. To the, to the COVID point, I think it has magnified the gaps that we've seen in our community, academic gaps, economic gaps, um, SEL gaps, all of that, um, which impact all students of color. And, and so with, with that in mind, I'm gonna say one positive thing out of this. In the long term, I think what's gonna come out of this is the realization of how vital schools are to our local communities and in our society. Um, what homes are trying to do in place of us is not working. And we're seeing that. And so to me, one of the one of the you know flag bearers of public education is simply that is I think out of the long term we're gonna find that public education will hopefully get some of its value back. Um, because again, we've taken a black eye and for whatever reason of late. And so I, I'm hoping that this will bring that back. Now I think um, the pandemic has made I believe people outside of the school system are aware of the inequities that exist in our communities. Mm -hmm. Those of us that work in schools, we see it every day. Um, I, I think in our community, it really has uh, woken up our community, and I think that they've been more willing to partner with us. Um, for example, we know we have some families that do not have Wi-Fi access. Uh, we've partnered with our county, and, and just an example, they were able to give 300 families Wi-Fi access through the use of their federal funds. Uh, we're using some of our federal funds to um, provide uh, hotspots and then also working with uh, two our two local um, cable providers and going to uh, use district funds to pay for permanent Wi-Fi for them. So I, I think it's just, it, it's I believe it's made people in our community aware. Sure and more willing to partner and step up um, and uh, help us meet the needs of our families. Because really, you know, it used to be, you know, the, in education they talked about uh, teaching the whole child. Mm -hmm. To me, it's, it's 
We can't it's the whole family. family. It's the whole family. <laughs> it's no longer a whole child. You have to uh, support and and uh, work with the entire family of, of all of our students. One of the one of the things that was just um, spoken about in terms of thinking about the whole family and not just the child um, really speaks into this uh, next thought here, which is around communication. Each of you in your own right are constantly bombarded with multiple stakeholders and having to um, answer a lot of questions, deal with people's expectations. Um, what is the best communication strategy that you have used during this pandemic? And generally, how have you been navigating the kind of constant chief communication officer um, add-on role that I imagine each of you has? Go ahead. We can, sure, we can jump in there. Um, one of the things we've really talked with a lot of our superintendents about are some of the strategies about what, how to communicate best during this kind of pandemic. To bring uh, just an example of our uh, research, we have an arm of research here at AFTG called School CEO Magazine. We did bring everyone a copy of that. And we put out a summer a summer uh, edition just on the great distance learning experiment. So um, we do have copies for everyone today. But what we're hearing is when we talk about communication, we talk about how often to do that, what your demeanor should be, um, how are you reaching your families, not just on the computer, or how, you know, is it through mobile, is it through text, is it through the newspaper? So a lot of different communication strategies. Uh, but communication is really changing. When everyone is getting their information in a different way, we as uh, school leaders. Um, certainly, uh, those of us that work with school leaders have to kind of adapt to meet the students and the teachers and the parents where they are right now. No, I think uh, you have to use, like you said, I think you have to use a wide variety of, of methods because people get their information in many different ways. Uh, social media is really helpful. And something that we uh, actually started doing prior to the pandemic is uh, I would do some really short videos. We're finding that people will sit and watch a couple minute video where you provide information versus reading a document. So we try to do as many videos as we can to uh, put out that information that um, is important for them to have. And then we also have on our, on our uh, COVID website section, uh, people can submit questions and we uh, monitor that and respond to those questions as quickly as possible. I'll add one more thing on communication. And I'm not sure we're doing a lot of this now, but early on, um, it seemed like a lot of the school districts in our area just worked together in the communication piece. We were doing, sending so many common messages yes. that once we knew what we needed to communicate, it wasn't 25 school districts writing 25 different things. Um, we'd have one school district, and Joel can attest to this because he stole a lot of my work for me <laughs> six months. But um, sometimes it works. It, 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 it was really helpful when one superintendent already had it proved and written by the communications team, and then we were able to send it out to everybody. And you know, our time is so precious to be able to work together and communicating those messages. And even now that there are still things that we are communicating that are very similar when we have to close a school or we have to close a classroom or whatever it may be, having those um, preloaded messages ready to go. So it's you're not taking the time to write it or proof it or whatever it may be uh, and just have it to be able to sit out in a moment's notice, whatever venue you're doing, but uh, working together among all area schools sure helps uh, during a time like this. Sarah, one more thing that we found when we're talking with superintendents, it's very important. It's so easy to get caught up in the data 
um, communicating the data and the facts, but we do encourage all of our superintendents to really give voice to communications. Make sure that it is meaningful. Make sure that you are showing empathy to your parents. We realize this is tough right now. We're in this together. Those kind of statements really resonate with parents who are struggling at home, and we found that communication that really has that empathy piece to it um, is really well received by the parents of the community as well. Right, and in the chat, even like everyone loves the comment, teaching the whole family, not just the whole Love child. Like, yes, 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 yes absolutely. Yes. So don't be afraid as a superintendent to show your personal side. Sometimes we get away from that when we're talking about data and numbers, but uh, reach out to your families and show them that you really do care and that you really do empathize with what's going on. It's very tough right now for everyone, teachers, parents, across the community. I was just going to say, when I think the pandemic first hit, first hit, we were just sending communication when we knew we needed to send it. Right. And it was just coming and coming and coming and coming. But um, some of my communication greats that I follow as superintendents, they have morphed back into their consistency of when they were always sending community information so that parents and community members can kind of predict that they will get this kind of communication this day of the week. They might get a COVID update that's not urgent another day of, of the week. But I, th I think the most that we can create some predictability, people will not be overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed sending it, but I was also overwhelmed receiving it, right? You know, so I think people will have liked that there's some level of consistency and predictability on when they're going to get certain um, information. And if, and if they get it outside of that, they know it's something important. I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction here. Um, this is a sort of uh, vulnerability inducing point. It's kind of funny, but, um, but rings powerful and true as well. And it's, are you glad you're running a district now? This is hard work, right? And I mean, I, I imagine none of you would have anticipated that you'd end up leading the school district through a pandemic and yet here you are. And so would love to hear your own personal reflections and accounts of how you think this through on a given day. This is my 10th year as a superintendent and I would say probably 75% of what I've dealt with in those 10 years is not what you learned in school. <laughs> right. You learn on the job, but you know, I got into education to have an impact on children's lives and work my way up to superintendent to really have greater impact. And yes, it's challenging, but I think it's something that uh, you're having an impact on, on not only the students that you touch, but in your community and how you handle the, the pandemic. Because, you know, I tell people that, uh, you know, they would prefer that we open things up a little bit more, but we've been pretty conservative because we know decisions we make not only impact our staff, but impact our community. The superintendent job is, is obviously very challenging and difficult, but I think when we put it in perspective, we have, we were not the ones that had to close our restaurants um, or to had to been forced to close a small business because of a seven month pandemic. So things could be much worse for us. Um, we still have very good jobs. We do have an impact on student learning and um, creating happy environments for our staff to come to work every day, whether that's at home or whether it's in our schools. I'll say on a personal note, um, James, you said about vulnerability. The re I kind of went through that 12-step program of COVID, um, not trying to be disrespectful, but just of my emotional state. When it hit in March, it was just working 60, 70 plus hours a week and just getting the job done and just getting through it. And then I hit the anger stage. Mm -hmm. Then I hit the self-loathing stage where I feel sorry for me, woe me, all of that. And all of that came to a, a head. Um, the very first day our students came back seven weeks ago, and they were 
so excited to be back. And it just, for me personally, it made, it, it was, it was very emotional in the sense that, okay, I was self-loathing. I, I was doing this. I had a selfish thought. Um, this is about our students. This is why we do what we do. And it made it so fulfilling to think back of, on the last five to six months prior to that and realize it was worth it. And um, it just was a good reminder for me uh, of what we do. It's not about me. It's about our students. And it's been a time for me where I felt like I've never been more needed in this role and in the, res the responsibilities that I've had. And I'm just I'm just thankful um, to do it. And I'll just add this one piece. I think there's a lot of work for years and years and years and years to come post this pandemic. So we all have to stay in and hang in here for the children. All right. That was uh, episode four. I want to thank um, Tad Everett and Serena Shivers and Andy Crozier, Crozier and uh, Michael Munoz for this great discussion. I want to thank folks in our group for bringing the great questions via thought exchange to that panel. Um, I also want to <laughs> make sure people know that I thought about trying to re-record that that intro segment because you probably heard the loud noise in the background. But I think it's very 2020 for me to just be transparent about the fact that our district went to remote learning this week to try to keep the numbers down. This is the week before Christmas break, a decision which we fully support. But, uh, you know, homeschool just ended like a half hour ago. And um, I went up and checked on my daughter. She's in first grade. She's uh, she's pretending uh, to play Shira and pretending to beat up uh, bad guys up there. So <laughs> those are the noises you heard in the background. Got to love 2020 homeschool and all. Um, but uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. We will see you for the next one shortly. Mm -hmm.